welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. We're going to look here in the Bible, the story about how the Holy Spirit came upon what we call the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, and we're also going to look in our Bible in John chapter 3. So in fact, we're going to start in John chapter 3. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we'll also turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Those would be our two scripture places we study at today. We are on the hills of a really a exciting week here in life of our church, what we call VBS. We had a great time. I mean, gosh, most of you here were all helpers at it and did so much to help make it a very successful week. We had uh, many decisions for Christ. Many of you always ask, well, how many children get saved? And I'm going to uh, help answer that question because what is um, my class, I teach the older children Bible study. So it's through second grade, through completed, completed second grade to completed fifth grade. So that's really the prime age for children to get saved. And what I do is um, at that age, um, children, they in each class that I have every single day, I present the gospel and give an opportunity to respond to that. Now, the challenge with that is the children, usually I'm at a 100% save rate. So when you lead children in the sinner's prayer, about every child will get saved. Now, the challenge is I say, wait a minute, that uh, that's really would skew the number. So that's when you hear at churches and you say, some pastors say, 150 children can say, well, I could easily say that as well. But what really happens to children when a child makes a decision to follow Jesus? What we do here at our church is we don't throw them in the bab baptistry the next Sunday. Their parents, I always, you want to always involve parents when children or teenagers make a decision to follow Jesus. Because parents have such an influence, probably the most important influence in a young person's life because a child doesn't drive themselves to church. We've got a bus stop in front of our church. The child, children don't hop on the bus and ride over here to Broadway. So children have parents who bring them to church or come to church with them with that. And you want, we talk to the parents about that. For example, last or Friday night, I had one mother. She came from, they came from a Roman Catholic background. And I was, after we had pies all over her face, I'm standing right there telling, talking to this parent about we're going to set up an appointment in two weeks to talk with her daughter about what it means to be saved. So those are the steps we go through. What we do by presenting the gospel, we teach children that at some point in your life, you want to call and cry out to the Lord, and He saves you. That's the power of the gospel. So those seeds are being planted each and every day at Bible school. And what's powerful about VBS is these children will leave after this week, and they will know who Jesus is, how to be saved, what you do to be saved, all of those questions are answered each and every day. So even if they miss four days and they only come one day, they're still going to hear the good news and the gospel about how to commit their life to Christ. And by you volunteering and you giving to this and you uh, giving all your time in such an exhausting week, you're making that um, very much happen and very much successful. Many of you always wonder, says, are we going to see lots of visitors from VBS? I'll explain from I've learned from Bible school visiting, any church event. The next Sunday, nobody comes. In August and in September is when people will start visiting from VBS. That's usually what happens. It's like God places in that side of their heart. They need to be in church 
or they have some family crisis or something happens that, uh, and the Lord speaks to them. And so then when they're ready to go to church, they think, well, what church should we go to? Well, we go that one. We go throw pies in people's faces and wild things happen uh, during Daniel's Bible study. And they come visit. They'll come visit three months later. So that's how you plant seeds and do an outreach with that. So it's very encouraging. We will follow up with all the folks. So it's um, exciting to see what you were part of this, uh, this past week with that. Next year's theme, many of you wonder, when is VBS? We do VBS the same week every single year till Jesus comes back. That way you are supposed to be able to plan your vacation around it. What you do is you look at Father's Day next year in 2024. Then the next day is when VBS begins. So look at Father's Day on your calendar. So if you're planning your vacation, go, oh, the next week is VBS. So go ahead and mark your calendar for that. So the day after Father's Day, Monday through Friday is when Bible school is. That way you can plan your vacation, your whole summer around that, and you can plan on volunteering as well. So that's how, that's how we do that. Um, uh, that. Open up your Bible to John chapter 3. We're going to start here looking at the Holy Spirit in verse 5. We're going to look here at verses 5 through 8, and then we're going to flip over our Bible to verse chapter 10, starting in verse 9 in the book of Acts with that. This here is the story about what it's like when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit moves in your life, because I believe all of us here would want to say, we want to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We want to experience God. It's exciting to be up here this past week and see uh, people so excited and learning about the Lord and cheering, uh, giving praise to the God. But a lot of times we feel like, well, I'm now getting back in my everyday routine. And that's dangerous thinking because your everyday routine should be daily time, daily movements, daily witnessing the Lord work in your life because He certainly can and He certainly does work in our life. And that's what's uh, powerful about the gospel here. What we're about to see is this conversation by a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was part of what they call the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's a 70-person ruling council, and they were in charge of everything, and they were mean. And they wore big red outfits and in uh, frowny faces all the time, just like the picture see. But there was one man, there was a couple of them, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the gentleman who helped bury Jesus, and not only that, also Nicodemus, they realized, you know, what Jesus was saying was true. They wanted to know more. They were inquisitive. So this man named Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night. And this story here, we read, we're not going to read all of it because this is where we get John 3.16 out of. What's powerful about this passage is we learn so much about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. And we learn about the workings of God. And what's amazing about it is this is a 1 a.m. conversation. Like this is in the middle of the night. So the middle of the night, Jesus gives his most famous teaching to a man who's a very unlikely person, who's part Nicodemus, who's like a little breakaway guy who came to Jesus and wanted to know more. He was a seeker. He wanted, what did Jesus have? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus know that I could be a part of? And so many people who come and visit our church and come uh, participate in the ministries of Broadway, they're seekers. They just want to know more. And that's what we see here. John chapter 3, verse 5. 
So he asked this question. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, I can't jump back in my mother's womb. Like, how is that possible? How is someone born again? So that's a good, that's a good question to answer. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Meaning, if you're going to go to heaven, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. So now Jesus is going to explain how to be born of those two. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. So you have flesh, that's water. That's what he's talking about. That's all of us here, obviously, have been born of the flesh, of water. We came about because we are human beings. But then he says, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's teaching there's actually a second birth. And that birth comes through the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit brings about rebirth. That's what it means to be born again. When someone says they're saved, they're meaning I have been born a second time. I have been born a second time so I can go to heaven. And Jesus says only people who are born again are going to heaven. So someone who has only experienced one birth. And there's many people here in Lexington, they've only been born one time. They've never experienced a second spiritual rebirth. So when you are asked, when someone asks you, when did you get saved? I was saved when I was 15 years old. I can, you want to be able to say, I was saved, I was born again at this age. That's what you're talking about when you get saved. So maybe some of those children who came to VBS this past week, this might have been their time they got saved. They experienced rebirth. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So Jesus is saying, the being born of the Spirit is like a windy day. You don't know which way the wind's going to blow, and you don't know when the Holy Spirit's working in people's life. You don't know who you, the person you're talking to, the person you run into, the classmate, the per- your friend. You don't know if that is a person whom God is preparing to receive Jesus as their Savior. I'll give you a perfect illustration of this, how we should always be uh, uh, aware of the Spirit of God working in our life. Our neighbor that lives two doors down from us, um, five years, well, seven, we started inviting them to church seven years ago when we first met them. And they, they weren't receptive. In fact, about five years ago, we would send Esther's our little evangelist. We'd send her over there, invite her to church, via VBS, by like Wednesday night stuff going on. And about five years ago, the mother was like, look, Dan, well, she didn't know my name. She's like, sir, it's enough. You don't need advice. We're not, we're not coming to church. So even when some, a good salesman never takes no for an answer. It's like you want to marry or date somebody and they say no. A girl says no. That two weeks later, you just, you just don't give up. You just wear them down. So you keep praying. Esther and I, we're praying for this family because they, they don't go to church. I mean, they're just unchurched. They don't know the Lord. The whole household doesn't. So this past week, and people like them, our neighbors, you can't invite them a month in advance. You have to invite them the day before VBS. So on Father's Day, after church is over, our children live in the yard, so I'm out there with Esther, and we got the little VBS card, and we went down there, and her, I knew her mother was home because the little daughter plays in our yard all the time, lives in our yard. So we go over there, 
And I spoke to the mother, and we said, hey, we've got VBS this whole week, and we have food, and food is the biggest selling point, a free meal every single night. And it's free babysitting for, since we get here so early for them, it was like five hours of babysitting for free. So they could come here and for five hours at church and learn about the Lord and get free food and have lots of fun. And the mother that five years prior was so hesitant, almost mean to the point of don't come to me again, that's enough. Because they made it very clear they have no interest in church. God had softened her heart and she gladly said yes. That right there shows us I didn't know what the Lord was doing in that lady's heart. And that little girl in my Bible study class, she came through it. She raised her hand every single time to get saved. I mean, I don't know. That was her actually very first time to ever come to church, she told me. Never in her life did this little girl had been to a church building. Never. Very first time was that Monday of this past week. And that just shows you, the reminds us the lostness of our city. And it also tells us that the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus talks about here in verse 8, we don't know how. Just because someone says no yesteryear doesn't mean it's a no now. Because our passion, our desire is to see people born again. The Bible teaches, Jesus made it very clear, no, you cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again of the Spirit, which is born again, which is being saved. That means people who do not get saved, people who are not born again, they will pass away, and they will die, and they will go to an eternal, everlasting hell, which is separation from God, not knowing the Lord. Now, all of us here have family members. We have friends at school, people we know at work, who are spiritually lost. And our responsibility is to take these words of Jesus and we want to cling to them and say, I want to see my family, my friends, my grandchildren, they need to know Jesus. And they need to be born again. And what we do is we're always praying. We're looking for opportunities to invite people to church. We're looking to use conversations to shift it to spiritual things. Any and every way possible, you're constantly trying to point people to Jesus. Because Jesus made it clear. This is, what, this is how someone is saved. And you do not know what God is doing in their life. And you look at the last verse Last sentence of verse 3. He's talking about, you don't know where the wind is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Meaning, you cannot predict when someone's going to get saved. You cannot predict someone's going to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. God could be working and likely is working in their life, preparing them for the conversation, for the invite that you're going to have. And we have to take these words, that this 1 a.m. conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, the most important conversation in the history of the world, explaining to Nicodemus, which applies to all of us, that men and women, boys and girls, need to be saved. Because if they're not saved, they're not going to heaven. Flip over in your Bible here to Acts chapter 10. I believe the devil... What he does is he uses the spirit of distraction all throughout and the spirit of busyness to any possible way to get us thinking, talking about doing anything and everything else other than talking and teaching people 
about how to be saved. Because truly, in the eyes of eternity, nothing else matters. We love our country, and next Sunday we'll celebrate the wonderful uh, nation we have. But being an American citizen doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Being successful, making wise choices in life, make good financial decisions, healthy eating decisions, all those things might be great. But again, none of that has an impact on eternity. Being born again is what God is looking for us to respond to him in that way and us to point people in our conversations that way. Look here in Acts chapter 10. I want to tell you this Bible story. This is a story of what we call the third Pentecost. Now, the Bible doesn't call it third Pentecost. I named it the third Pentecost. And every other preacher in 2,000-year history has named it third, third Pentecost. First Pentecost happened with Peter in Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit came down in the upper room. There, all the disciples were meeting there. Uh, tongues of fire came down. The people began speaking in tongues, which is different languages, to all the different people that were in Jerusalem for a special Jewish uh, uh, festival called Pentecost. They go out and start praising God, pointing people and sharing about Jesus. 3,000 people get saved. That was a Jewish Pentecost. Jews got saved. You flip over in your Bible, Acts chapter 10, there's a disciple named Philip. He goes up to a Samaritan community called Samaria. And uh, Samaritans in the Bible were partially Jewish. They weren't 100% Jewish. They maybe had like 25 or 50% Jewish blood. Well, they were half-breeds. They were despised by full Jews. But the Holy Spirit didn't despise them. Philip went and preached to the people in Samaria, and they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. That's a Samaritan Pentecost. Lots of people got saved, and decisions were made to follow Jesus. Then we get to Acts chapter 10, and there's still a third people group. And probably this people group encompasses most of us, unless we're Jewish here. This is what we call Gentiles. And there's this man named Cornelius. He was a Roman, Roman uh, officer. He was not Jewish, but he, had a, um, he was a kind man, and he was an upright man, the Bible says. And he was a, a centurion, which meant he ruled over 100 soldiers. And he had a large family, and God was gracious to this man. And he was an upright, righteous man, but he was not a believer. He did not know about Jesus. So one day, it says at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius is praying. Or he's not praying, he's doing whatever. And an angel comes to him. And an angel says, Cornelius, you need to send some men down to Joppa. That was a good way south along the Mediterranean Sea. You go send for a man named Peter. And he's going to be expecting to receive you. You're, and then you invite Peter to come up here to Caesarea where Cornelius is at, and the words that Peter says, you're going to listen to them. And he's going to tell you what to do. So meaning he's going to tell them about Jesus. So Cornelius listens to this angel and sends some men down to Joppa and brings up Peter. And that's where we're going to pick up where Peter is all of a sudden waiting, and then there's going to be a knock at the door, and he's going to receive these men. And look how God is preparing each different purpose person in this. Cornelius, the Bible says, was a righteous, good man, but he did not know about the Lord. Peter, he's just spending time in prayer, and all of a sudden these men knock on the door, and he's going with them to go share the good news. But we're going to pick up here where Peter's at. He's in this man's house named Simon the Tanner. That means he made leather. He's along the sea in Joppa. 
Joppa is the same area that Jonah left to go to sell away from Nineveh, sell away in disobedience from God. So somewhere near Joppa, there's a large well that eats people. And that's where Jonah got swallowed up there. So he got pulled back to land and says, nope, you're going the wrong way. And Jonah got sent to Nineveh. So that's Joppa is a, a, a very important city in the life of the Bible. Verse 9. The next day, so what's going on here is Peter is at this house. And he's probably a believer's house teaching about the Lord. Peter is a Jew. So he's, he runs and teaches in Jewish circles. But that's about to change. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. So he's up there praying. And it says he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, so he go, it's noontime, he goes up to pray on top of the roof. These houses back then, they didn't have slanted roofs. They had flat roofs. So you would go and spend time alone up and pray on the roof. And in that, in that time, he got hungry. So the people downstairs are preparing lunch. He's ready to eat. And you know, it's always in times of least, least expecting God to move that he certainly shows up. It might be in that transitional moment when you're just getting ready to eat lunch. And that's what occurred. It says he's getting ready to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by the four corners of the earth. So he's in this vision, this trance, and all of a sudden, a sheet is being lowered down from heaven. And Peter's wondering, what is going on? And let's see what's in the sheet. In it were all four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. So these are unclean animals. If you are a Jew and you go shopping at Kroger this afternoon and you pick up that item on the shelf and you think, I want to buy this, but I want to make sure it's kosher. You'll look at that label and if there's a K with a circle around it, that is your clue if you're Jewish that this is a clean item to eat. So Peter is Jewish. When he went shopping at the grocery store, he only looked for the Circle K items at the grocery store. It meant they were kosher. He followed Jewish dietary laws based on the book of Leviticus. And these Jewish people would follow, such as there should be no leaven in the bread. There were certain types of animals they didn't want to eat. And these were named right here. They weren't to go around eating reptiles and birds. So Peter now is sitting there and in this sheet are all these unclean animals. And the, the Lord is telling them, Peter, I know you're hungry. Get up and eat. You're starving. Here's some food right here. So look what Peter says. No, Lord, Peter says, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. He's saying, God, I don't eat this stuff. It's wrong. This breaks the book of Leviticus. I'm a Jewish man, and I follow Jewish law. I've never put my mouth on something that I'm not supposed to eat. I follow the proper rules. And he's saying, this common food here that Gentiles eat, it's not for me. Now, what is God doing here? God is not actually teaching Peter about food. He's teaching him about people, about the Gentile people. That's what this is all about. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, 
What God has made clean, do not call impure. Meaning, the Gentile people here, whom you consider unpure, that's where he's going with this, whom you uh, look down upon, whom you view differently, do not call them impure. What God is teaching Peter, Peter, the Gentiles can get saved too. The gospel is now going out to everyone. What Jesus did on a cross, he was just not some Jewish Messiah in the lineage of David to make Israel great again. He died for the sins of the world so everybody could be a believer. And understand, Peter is the leader of the disciples. Jesus had chosen him. But Peter was very Jewish, and this was hard for him. And look what it says there. This happened three times. In Peter's life, everything had to happen three times. Because Peter didn't listen the first two. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter had to be reinstated on the shore, there on the seashore of Galilee, three times. The, the, the sheet had to come down from heaven three times. And we had to have the same conversation over and over again, Peter. It says, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. And suddenly the object was taken up to heaven. So after three times, it was gone. And what God was doing, he's preparing Peter, who you think is unclean. It's not. Because right when this was over, then the knock comes at the door. And lo and behold, it's some Gentiles. Gentile men are right there saying, Our master, Cornelius, he wants to, he, he wants to speak to you. And it's up in Caesarea. Will you come with us? God was prepping Peter for this event. So Peter goes up there to Caesarea and he meets Cornelius. Uh, he goes into a home of a Gentile, which was unclean, which was the wrong thing to do. He preaches about Jesus. He teaches them and they, they experience salvation. God's Spirit moves in their heart. Now flip over. I want to share what happens here. This is the main point. Acts chapter 10 Verse 44, look at the response of what occurs. This is when the Holy Spirit, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit being poured out. It's not a little bit. He's pouring it out on the Gentiles. And this is what we want in our lives. We want to experience God's Spirit moving constantly. And there's an amazing event that occurs here in this, in this um, message. So what happens Peter gets some, a couple of friends, and they travel up to Caesarea. And they're going to go meet Cornelius. So they get there, they preach the gospel, and here's the response. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down all those who heard the message. Remember, these are Gentile people. This is the Gentile Pentecost. People who don't, people who aren't Jewish whatsoever are now getting saved. So, the circumcised believers, look at this. The, the circumcised believers are Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. That Bible verse is so important. First of all, what amazed the Jewish men, these circumcised believers? They weren't amazed that the Holy Spirit was poured out. They couldn't they were so amazed at the wrong thing. They kept thinking, but that's a Gentile. He can't receive the Holy Spirit. All they could think about were, these are unclean people. 
These people aren't part of God's promise. These people aren't part of the covenant that with Abraham. But they are receiving the Holy Spirit. Do you see how their focus was completely wrong? They should be focusing, my goodness, the Holy Spirit is in this place. But no, they're, they're too focused on, on, is he eligible to get saved? Is that a true decision? Is that commitment to Christ real? Have you ever heard the phrase fruit inspectors? That's really not good to do. That's really not a phrase, I'm a fruit inspector, isn't really biblical. And it's not right for us to be going around inspecting people's fruit. That's not for us to do. That's for the Lord. People stand and give an account to the Lord, not to me. You don't give an account to me. We point people and push people to the Lord. But the Holy Spirit, he came down to this place in Cornelius' house. And all these people are here, these Gentiles. And they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And the other Jews are just sitting there thinking, no, they're not, again, they're, not, they're impressed with the wrong thing. They're focusing on Gentile people and not on the Lord. And what's amazing about this, it says here, they were amazing. Look what the Holy Spirit is called. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our life is a gift. When you get saved, you have received the greatest gift God could ever give. And that is God himself is putting his spirit inside of you. He is pouring it out and you've received the Lord and now you live for him. And that is what is amazing. For they heard them speaking in tongues. And if you notice there's a footnote there on the word tongues that can also be translated other languages because probably a lot of these people did not speak Hebrew, these Gentiles. They didn't know Hebrew. But all of a sudden in their own language they're hearing Jesus' name praised, declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He commanded them. So Peter now is saying, These people are saved. They need to follow in believers' baptism. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. At that moment, those new believers, those Gentile believers, got baptized. They received water baptism. They were saved. They received water baptism. And Peter stayed there and continued to teach them about the Lord for several days in Caesarea. What is so powerful about this passage, what's so amazing about this, is that these folks became believers immediately upon hearing the gospel. They didn't even know what they were going to hear. They didn't know the message Peter was going to bring. They became believers. The Holy Spirit comes down, and they receive believers' baptism. And you know, if these people here, these Gentiles were baptized, maybe you've never received believers' baptism. If a, a Gentile who heard the gospel for the very first time responded that quickly and got baptized, and maybe you haven't been baptized, you've been putting it off for years, you're living in disobedience. These people were baptized right away. They didn't delay in their commitment to Christ. We follow when Christ asks us to do something. When he commands us to do something. Notice Peter said, he commanded them, you need to receive believers' baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a sign, a, a, a picture of your old self going down, your old life and your new life coming up. It's showing to everyone, I'm a believer, even though I'm a Gentile. What's amazing about this passage is unlikely people 
received the Holy Spirit. So that, going back to John chapter 3, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where the wind's blowing. It blows as it pleases. So it is with the Holy Spirit. This reminds us we always need to be ready for God to work in every single conversation, in every single uh, time we go to work, we go to school. We're ready. He says, Lord, I'm ready to be used. Use my words. Use my uh, encounters I have today. Many times for us, we get so stuck, and I'm speaking myself, I'm a busybody. It's just one thing after another. Once this is over, it's this, then this, then this. And we have to be aware when we're just going down our to-do list, our daily events of that day, we have to stop and say, Lord, I want you to use me today. Put someone in my path. You make a conversation and point people to you. Remember what Jesus said. Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning people must be born again to be saved. The gospel. What does the gospel do? It saves souls. There are lost people all around us that need to get saved. Our mission as Christians, our mission certainly as a church, is to reach lost people. Everything we do here at this church is pointing people to Jesus. The gospel is also supernatural, meaning we cannot predict what God is going to do. When you meet people at work, at the hospital, at school, you don't know, has God been preparing them? When I went over to our neighbor's house on Sunday afternoon last week, I was prepared for mama to slam the door and say, didn't I tell you five years ago not to come over here and invite us to church again? I was prepared for that. It was the exact opposite response. A no yesterday doesn't mean a no today. We, if you, I want to tell you something. If you're here this morning and you have family members who are lost, you need to be praying for them to be saved. Yesterday, I got to go to Sonny and Sandy Cloyd's, or Miss Sandy Cloyd's 80th birthday party downstairs here at the church. We all know Miss Sandy. She's the candy lady. They weren't able to come today, but, uh, but when they're here, they walk around, they pass out candy to all your children and all to all the men. That's what Sandy said. Men enjoy eating candy. She said, well, women don't take it, but all, every man she offers it to will accept it. And she, I was there, and these are Jake's grandparents. And while we're there at their event, First of all, I want to point out, you would think when you go to an 80-year-old's birthday party, it's going to be a bunch of young people. Jake, there were very few, I mean, or a bunch of old people. There were very few old people. Y'all have a young family. I walk in, I'm like the oldest man there, me and Sonny. It's like a bunch of kids, 20-year-olds, teenagers, young folks everywhere. And Sonny pulls me aside and says, Daniel, I want you to know a lot of my family is lost. They don't go to church. Will you join me in praying for them? You know, that Sonny is 83 years old. And he looked at that event. He saw all these family members came out from out of town. And instead of just being happy, he says, I'm so glad they came to celebrate a birthday. But who cares about a birthday? What's most important, these folks need to have a spiritual birthday. Your grandfather had eyes of spiritual eyes realizing what's most important in these people's life is they need to know the Lord, they need to get saved, they need to be in church, they need to be reading their Bible, they need to be growing as believers because right now they're not. That there is what it means to be living by the Spirit. 
You just don't focus on, I'm glad to have my family. No, my family needs to know Jesus. They need to be in church. Godly parents, godly grandparents are always shepherding your family to the Lord. I have four children. You're, shepping, you're always shepherding these children and pushing them and positioning them so they will have encounters and have opportunities to know and meet the Lord. You want them growing spiritually. You Same with your grandchildren. You bring them. You position it so that they are here. That is what it means when it says the Holy Spirit was poured out and people were amazed. Peter went up to Caesarea. He did not know what to expect. And he was, he was witnessing the event of Gentile Christians. What happened in Caesarea with Cornelius' family has continued all the way today. If you are a Gentile, this is your Pentecost. It started right here with Cornelius, meaning non-Jewish people are receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10. And we are today. And this morning I ask you, you know, we look at this passage here. What does it teach us? How does it change us? It answers the who. The who is anyone. And we need to be aware of the who. Unlikely people will respond to your message and your encouragement and your pleadings for them to turn to Christ. Just because a lot of times the people you think they're most likely to respond in, to an invitation in church or uh, when you talk to them about the Lord or just want to pray for them, they are very receptive. But it's the unlikely people who are. The Holy Spirit answers the who. And that's everyone. And knowing that, the Holy Spirit here answers the how. How do people get saved? God's Spirit is poured out and they turn to the Lord. The who and how are both answered in this question. There are no barriers to folks getting saved. And the how is the Holy Spirit. He's poured out and people receive them. Do you know of someone here in your family or in your city who is not where they need to be spiritually? If that is them, you need to be praying for them. You should be looking for opportunities to witness them. Don't you want to be a part? Well, you, God gives us 70, 80, 90 years here on earth. You want to use every day of your time on earth of being used by the Lord. And this is the way to do it. The Holy Spirit, the wind blows, and we have to be aware of this. And we want to be conscious that God could be working in someone else's life and you are part of seeing them get saved. How exciting will it to be when you and I get to heaven and we see people whom we were instrumental in sharing and inviting to church and teaching them about the Lord and giving them a Bible that they are in heaven because of your witness. That's it. Your witness. Do you know how I got saved? It's because my parents drug me to church all the time. It wasn't because mom and dad are sitting there sharing the good news at the kitchen table and preaching to me at all. We just went to church over and over and over and over. Every time the doors were open. All the time. If you just bring people to church, they'll hear about Jesus here. You don't have to do anything yourself. Put them in the car and drive them over here. And they'll learn about the Lord. Many times that's all it takes People just being around the, God, the power of the good news, the power of the gospel. When the word of God is teached and preached, 
The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it will not return void. Meaning, God will use the teaching and the reading of His Scripture and the singing of His Scripture and change people's life. And I think for us, we need to say a lot of times, we're, we think, well, until the next event, until the next Sunday. And the Lord is saying, no, you don't need to wait till Sunday. There's a new afternoon, a new day is tomorrow. You wake up and say, God, how are you going to use me? I want to see your Holy Spirit poured out. I want to see opportunities that I can share and pass out gospel tracts and invite people to this and that and the other. That's what happened with Peter. But what had to happen was Peter and his two friends had to change their mindset. What impressed them the most is that they were unlikely Gentiles. They weren't expecting it. They weren't planning for it. But God did it. And that's how he works in our life unplanned, unexpected times is when the Lord will work the most. Maybe God has brought you here this morning at unplanned, unexpected time and you need to get saved. You need to respond to God. Peter called the people to repent and to come down and get baptized and come and follow Christ. And that's the gospel call this morning. We're going to have our invitation. I'm going to buy our band. Beach your Rancho, come on up. Whole band needs to come up here. We're going to have our closing song. We're going to lead us in a song. Zach and I stand right here. We, we invite you to respond. Now here's our response. The same response every time. We respond to God. You need to get saved. You need to get baptized. You need to recommit your life to Christ. You need prayer. You come and take our hand and we will pray for you. Listen, if children can respond, you can respond. If Cornelius' family can, all his friends can respond, you can respond. We respond to God. This is also our time we join Broadway Baptist Church. You want to be a church member, you come down here and you make it public. So let's stand together. Our band's going to lead us in our song. Zach stands here. I stand right here. You come take our hand and make a decision to follow Jesus this morning.